Uh, well, we're still talking about uh, the exploits of Elisha. And so 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Behold now, the place before you where we are living is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and each of us take from there a beam, and let us make a place there for ourselves where we may live. So he said, Go. Then one said, Please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. So he went with them, and they, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in, threw it in there and made the iron float. He said, Take it up for yourself. So he put out his hand and took it. Okay, so you got the sons of the prophets, and they're living in a place that's too small, so they are going out to make a bigger place to live, and uh, taking a beam from, from the Jordan. And uh, they're cutting down trees there at the Jordan, and as they're doing that, what happens? What tragedy strikes? <laughs> the axe head flew off. And yeah. In the water. And 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 doesn't kill somebody. That that would have been even worse, wouldn't it? Uh, but but ends up in the water. And as most good axe heads would, when they end up in the water, it sinks. Sinks. <laughs> yes. And it's kind of a crisis for this poor gentleman because. It was borrowed. <laughs> it was borrowed. It wasn't even his. So he lost the axe head on this borrowed axe. And that is a problem. And so he comes to Elisha, tells him about it. And uh, Elisha wants to know where did it fall. And he shows him. And Elisha cuts off a stick, <laughs> throws it into the water. And what happened? It floated. The, the axe head floated to the top. Did you know a stick would do that? It never works for me. <laughs> well, it hasn't worked for anybody else either. Obviously, this is the Lord who uses that uh, as a, a sign or, you know, whatever. But, but God blesses this guy with the axe head floating back to the top, so he's got it. I, you know, among other things, it certainly shows God's concern for, you know, people's little problems. I mean, you know, if you're the guy who borrowed the axe, that might be a big problem to you. But it's not really a big problem in the you know, whole scope of the history of the world. And yet God bothered to care for him and bothered to even record it to show that he cared. So I think that's interesting. Thoughts and comments? Would he have had to pay back more than the axe head if he lost it, so to speak? Well, you wouldn't think so. Why? I guess I'm thinking of more of, of theft. And yeah, he didn't theft. steal it. Yeah. Well, that we know of, of course. He says he borrowed it. Well, and the <laughs> if he stole it, he sure did lose it in an inconvenient spot. Yeah. <laughs> I find it weird that he had to show Elisha where it went. Just because, you know... God could have done anything, yeah. so, you know what I'm saying? If God knew where it was, then why did he have to show him? Yeah. Well, of course, God could have made it float without throwing a stick in the water, too. Mm. Yeah, it's just sort of strange what God does and what he doesn't do. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he tests our faith, our obedience. You know, he, he does some things that help us to believe and to trust him.
Other thoughts? How deep was the water? <coughs> that bad. Why didn't you just dive in? Uh, well, I mean, this is in the Jordan. I don't actually know how deep the Jordan was, but I'm guessing it was deep enough that you're going to have a hard time finding the axe head by diving, trying to look down in the water. At times, the Jordan is is very... It's muddy and fast flowing in some places, and I mean, I mean, if you lost a white, uh, an accent in White River, would anybody think about trying to dive down and get it? No. <laughs> no. I've heard that if you don't use an axe the right way, the head can fly off. So maybe use. You feel bad about <laughs> being, being irresponsible or. You would hope they don't normally fly up, fly off. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a law about it, just in case it happens. Your axe head flies off and kills the pregnant yeah. woman as the sun is rising. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's in second opinion. <laughs> I'm not sure it's Leviticus. <laughs> no, no, no. I've read Leviticus. All right. Uh, well, uh, eight to fourteen. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which of, which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. And he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, that they came by night and surrounded the city. So... You know, the king of Aram is fighting against Israel, and he has his advisors, and they plan, you know, their route. They're trying to find the king of Israel, but Elisha keeps tipping the king of Israel off as to where the Aramean army is going to invade, and so he's protected every time they come, and he's... You know, I mean, and, and the king of Aram starts imagining what? He's got a spy or a traitor in his midst. Exactly. Somebody has been letting the king of Israel know what's going on. I mean, that's something you have to watch out for is, uh, you know, in these kinds of uh, business because, you know, sometimes spies get paid pretty well. You, if you can talk somebody into betraying secret information, you know, that's something that we deal with in our country sometimes. And, uh, but, uh, one of the servants, again, knowing more than his master, Shades of Chapter 5, says, no, it's not that, it's Elisha. You know, he tells, you know, the king of Israel, whatever you speak in your bedroom. And he's like, well, find out where he's at. And they tell him he's in Dothan. So he sends horses and chariots and army there and comes by night and surrounds the city. Do you see kind of a problem with that? He's probably not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, if he always knows where 
you know, the Aramean army is and knows the plans in advance, presumably he knows about this one. So, I mean, if Elijah doesn't want to stay there, I guess he'll go somewhere or, you know, whatever. This, this seems like kind of a uh, plan that's doomed to failure from the beginning. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, they are surrounding the city. You know, they're going to capture Elisha. They're going to put a stop to him telling where the uh, attack's going to come. Comments and questions? It almost seems like it's too much for one person, too. Like, let's send all 80,000 people to find one guy, you know. Good point, yes. I don't know how many people were in their army, but it does seem a little excessive. Sent all his chariots, all his horses, and all his great army. Yeah, army versus one unarmed man. <laughs> yeah, that is a good point. Uh, but, wow, he's the guy you need to capture. If you can get him out of the way, then maybe they can stand a chance against the king of Israel. Maybe the city was big. They had to surround it. Yeah, I don't, yeah maybe so. That happens a lot in the Bible, though. Like, all the people after Jesus, when yeah. he was just yeah. by himself, and they spent the 50s to get Elijah. Good point. I, I think the servants of God sort of intimidate the enemy a little bit. And with good reason. Other thoughts? Is there a reason why it says the king of Aram and the king of Israel and doesn't say names? And the man of God and, and doesn't say names? Yeah. I don't know. We're presuming it's Elisha, right? Well, I think it's Elisha. Elisha. Somewhere. In first fall. Yeah. Going down, it says. Yeah. Good point. <coughs> well, so, wow, this could be scary if you're warned Elisha. You've got the city where Elisha is now surrounded by the Aramean army with horses and chariots. So, how's this going to come down? 15 to 23. Now, when the attendants of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he brought them to Samaria. How far? To 23. When they had come to Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Then the king of Israel, when he saw them, said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? He answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those who, had who have taken captive with the sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And when they, had gone, had, when they went to their master... Uh, and the marauding bands of Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel. Well, Elisha's got a servant who sees the army. He sees the horses and the chariots. He's like, what are we going to do? You can imagine his shattered nerves 
you know, when he sees the whole city surrounded by the Aramean army, this is just uh, terrifying to him. And Elisha says, oh, don't fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What do you mean, those who are with us is more than those who are with them? Who's with us? Doesn't look like there's anybody with Elisha and his servant. But Elisha prays that God would open the eyes of the servant. And when he does, what does the servant see? Horses and chariots of fire everywhere, all around them. Wow. Does that remind you of anything? Elijah. Yeah, how Elijah was taken up back to heaven. You know, if, if, if we could only see the reality, if we only could see those horses and chariots of fire and, and be able to visually see that there's more with us than with them, that would really change things. You know, we can't see those things physically. We have to see them by faith, by our trust and confidence in God. The truth is, the Aramean army is nothing. <laughs> they are the ones that are outnumbered. If we are with the Lord and the Lord's with us, we have nothing to fear. How many angels could the Lord send down if he wanted to? You know, he sounds to me from various passages like he has quite a number. And from the damage even one was able to do one night in the time of Hezekiah, I would say it wouldn't take too many to outnumber any army. So that's what the servant needed to see. That changes everything. And if we could only see the hand of God, the troops of God, the forces of God, I think it would change everything for us. So, what happens to this poor army? They're struck blind. Yeah, they're struck uh, blind. And uh, <laughs> Elisha says, uh, oh, I'll, I'll take you. Uh, I'll take you where you need to go. <laughs> Come with me. <laughs> Little delay. They can't see him. They don't know who he is. Brings them to Samaria, and and they're you know basically they come into the um, Israelite Pentagon, you know, surrounded by the soldiers, and then Elisha says, "Now let him see." Wouldn't that be disconcerting? You've been led right in the middle of the Israelite army. You're kind of in big trouble. What does the king of Israel want to do? Kill him. Yeah, shall I kill him? Shall I kill him? And what was God's answer? Would you have killed him if you'd taken him captive? Yeah. And so what does he say to do? Feed him with some Yeah. Hey, give him some bread and water. You know, take care of him. This is the enemy army. What's the deal here? Why feed him? So they can go home and tell their master what happened. It's almost even worse than them being killed. It's more humiliating. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're probably hungry, guys. We'll, we'll get you a little something to eat. You know? <laughs> wow. And, and it was also, I mean, they would have expected if they suddenly found themselves in the middle of an enemy camp that they were not going to be alive much longer. Instead, they were right. fed with a great feast and shown great mercy and then told to go on home and they I think they would be less likely to be willing to follow 
their king into battle and, okay, let's go kill these nice people who helped us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, kind of a public relations move as well, perhaps. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Feed him. You know, Romans 12. I, I, he's almost killing them with kindness. You know, okay, you you be nice. We're going to be nice to them. They don't come back out for a while. You know, this was humiliating enough, humbling enough, whatever. Uh, so, so this is just, man, the tables got turned all the way around in this one. And uh, God ultimately enabled both Elisha's servant and the Aramean army to see. And uh, the Arameans don't come back for a while. Comments and questions? Did Elisha lie? Uh, I don't think so. How did he lie? Well, that was my question, too. Verse 19. <clears throat> it was the city. It's where he was. Yeah. He he said, he was but he says this is seeking. not the city. Uh, this is not the way, nor is the city. Is this the city, the way, or the city for what? Well, they were looking for Elisha. Yeah, that's not where Elisha's going to be when they, they open their eyes. <laughs> but it was the way. I mean, it looks to me like he lied there. Well, He's where's Elisha headed? Not back to this city. It's not the city where he's going to be. But still, isn't that deceptive? Even if it's not inadvertently lying, he's telling them something with them believing something else that he's saying purposefully. Uh huh. So it's deceptive, which is just as bad as lying. Maybe not. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the second part of his sentence is correct, though. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man you seek. That's correct. Uh, I mean, but they didn't have to follow him to bring him to the man. Right. Side. Right. Yeah. He was right there. <coughs> Uh, well, if they were going to... What's the impression that they have from what he says? They're going to find Elisha. Which they do. But they've already found Elisha. They didn't know that. <laughs> Jakes. Yeah, but he's leaving the... That's what I'm saying. He's lying. Your word. Deceptive. Deceptive. Yeah, he's leaving the wrong impression with them. Well, I think he's leaving the impression he intended to leave. Well, we can leave impressions we intend to leave and it still be lying. Well, I don't know if an impression is a lie. You know, I mean, I think that... You agree with me? <laughs> this is scary. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, it, it, there's a difference between lying and acting in such a way that people draw inaccurate conclusions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> lying and not telling the truth in other words. Well, I mean, there are a lot of things that you would do that might lead someone to draw an inaccurate conclusion. You know, somebody, um, somebody says, well, so-and-so came to see you. What did they talk to you about? And you tell them one thing they talk to them about. You know they really want to know, did they talk to you about, you know, uh, this or that situation? But you don't tell them that part because it wouldn't, it's none of their business. It wouldn't be helpful. And so you tell them something that leaves them thinking, perhaps, that that was what you, the only thing you talked about. You didn't say that. But you intentionally worded it in such a way that they draw a conclusion that's probably not accurate. I mean, that's exactly, it seems to me, what happened in 1 Samuel 16 when God told Samuel, you offer a sacrifice in Beth, uh, Bethlehem. 
And uh, that way, you know, nobody will know that you're anointing the next king of Israel. Now, if God told him to do it that way, it must be okay. I just don't think we're forced to help the enemy out with giving by giving too much information. I disagree with that, but I don't. But see he's that not as a withholding place. information. He's giving pretty much wrong information. No, it was right information. <laughs> he wanted them in the middle of Samaria. He did, and he takes them there under false pretenses. What's false about the pretenses? They are already at the man that they want to seek. He didn't say they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he says, this is not the way, nor is this the city. But he doesn't say the way or the city to what. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. What? Is that not deception? Yes. In a sense, it is. I think there's deception that's sinful, and there's deception that's, you know, leaving a misleading impression. Where is that defined and the difference? Well, I think the an example like this <laughs> shows that. I mean, I don't think I don't think we're intended to see Elisha as doing the wrong thing in this situation. I think we're intended to see Elisha as a man of God here, acting as a man of God. Certainly, he has all. And God is giving him all kinds of help all through this including opening their eyes. God could have opened their eyes right then so that they would seen that, have seen that it was Elisha. God doesn't choose to do that. But didn't God also help Abraham? And David. When Abraham clearly lied, and he said that he lied, but he still didn't have the king do anything with Sarah. So just because God helps you doesn't necessarily mean that you've done the right thing. Different situation. <laughs> I mean, here, Elisha is not acting to protect himself. He's acting for the Lord. He's acting, you know, to humble and humiliate the Aramean army. Um, I mean, I, I, would, I, I think we'd have a hard time seeing much difference between this and 1 Samuel 16. It also reminds me a bit of when Jesus' brothers told him to go make a big appearance at the feast, and he said, I will not go. But then he does go, but, you know, he's, he may have left him with the impression that he's not going to go, but at least he's not going to in the sense of their meaning. Right. Um, I, I'll buy that. Uh, I would also suggest Jeremiah 38, um, where Jeremiah 38, 24, then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, let no one know about these words and you will not die. But if the officials hear that I have talked with you and come to you and say to you, tell us now what you said to the king and what the king said to you, do not hide it from us and we will not put you to death. Then you are to say to them, I was presenting my petition before the king not to make me return to the house of Jonathan to die there. Then all the officials came to Jeremiah and questioned him. So he reported to them in accordance with all these words which the king had commanded and they ceased speaking with him since the conversation had not been overheard. So Jeremiah stayed in the court of the guardhouse until the day that Jerusalem was captured. I mean, I suppose you could argue that someone like Jeremiah did the wrong thing in this case. That's not my impression. I mean, I, I would see Jeremiah at this point in his life doing the right things. I would see Elisha as doing the right things. And certainly Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 is what God told him to do. Yeah, I think that causes some discomfort. Um, 
But I think that's where we have to be more precise in seeing what God allows and what he doesn't. And that there are things we can do that are ultimately going to lead people to draw a wrong conclusion that are not lying and are not sinful. Now, trying to define all that, I don't know uh, always how to do that. Certainly, there are good purposes served in these things. There's nothing misleading that's harmful to the person or to the situation or against the God. There's no lying going on, it seems to me. Uh, there's just not telling everything. You know, Elisha didn't bother to tell them. Uh, you could actually, if you could open your eyes right now, you'd find me too. Uh, but he did lead them to the place where he was going to be. And uh, so when they opened their eyes, he opened their eyes, God did. Then he was right there. So he told them the truth, he just didn't tell them everything. Now, I think that's where I would say the difference is. Sometimes you, you may not tell everything. That may leave people to draw a conclusion that's not accurate. But it wasn't because you lied to them. It was because they drew that conclusion because you didn't give them all the information. This reminds me of a, a, a legal ethics question that we had whenever I was in law school, which was, so put yourself in Nazi Germany, you have, you're hiding Jews in your, your cellar, and the Nazi stormtroopers knock on your door. Do you have any Jews hiding here? Are you going to lie to them? And, you know, most of the class was saying, yes, I'm going to lie to them, not going to tell them, and the professor said, I'm not going to lie to them. You know, and that just caused this huge uproar. What, are you going to turn them over? He said, no. Well, actually, he said some things I can't repeat. But then he, all, he, he came back, he said, no, what I would probably say is, do I look like the kind of person who would hide Jews? <laughs> he didn't answer the question. He left them with the impression that there were no Jews there and sent them on their way. So it's the same, that yes. type of thing. He didn't or, answer the question, but he misled them. Right. You know, are you forced to tell everything you know in a situation even when telling everything you know is going to be harmful. Somebody told you something in confidence. It would be harmful if you repeated it. What are you going to do when somebody asks you, did so-and-so tell you blah 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 blah? Well now, if you answer that question, if you divulge that information, I, you've done wrong. You know, you you had no business divulging the information. You need to be quiet. Now, maybe you say it's none of your business, or maybe they say it in such a way that you can get out of answering the question by answering part of the question or whatever. Um, but, but you don't tell the thing that you have no right to tell. We are not under obligation to say everything we know. I mean, Proverbs talks a lot about being quiet. <laughs> so there are times when it's not wise to reveal certain things. Maybe we just say, I'm not going to tell, you know, maybe we get out of it, maybe we reveal certain things and that satisfies the person. It seems to me like that we have those rights. I understand that's a complicated issue, but I think it's more complicated here to say Elisha did the wrong thing in the context. Who knows? Could he possibly be saying that the man that they seek is really the king of Israel, because that's they were trying to get after her all along. That's why they were looking for Elisha, because they needed to take care of him so they could get to the king. So, like, he's saying, well, this isn't really what you wanted, so I'll take you to the king of Israel. 
Maybe, um, although that doesn't seem to fit with verse 13. But, you know, and they were surrounding the city of Dothan, I'm assuming, because they thought Elisha was Yes, I know they're looking for Elisha, but he's saying, well, what your ultimate goal is in all of this is to get to the king of Israel, so I'll take you there. Maybe so. And we've just got some difficult issues (laughs) sometimes. I mean, you know, that we're trying to... You know, ultimately, our goal is to define moral issues the way God does. You know, not the way we would in a, you know, kind of, well, this is the way it looks to me. Uh, So, we're trying to be just where the Lord is on that. That's the goal, however we look at some of these passages. All right, anything else anybody wants to say on all that? Well... The, a time period passes because in verse 23 the marauding bands of Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel uh, but then after a time then they do again and so that's 24 to uh, let's do 24 to 31 now it came about after this that Ben-Hadad king of Aram gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for eighty shekels of silver and a fourth of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. He said, If the lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? From the, th- from the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king said to her, What is the matter with you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow so we boiled my son and ate him and i said to her on the next day give your son that we may eat him but she has hidden her son when the king heard the words of the woman he tore his clothes now he was passing by on the wall and the people looked and behold he had sackcloth beneath on his body then he said may god do so to me and more also if the head of elisha the son of shaphat remains on him today (laughs) well so ben hadad of which there were many means son of Hadad, and Hadad was their, their Baal, practically, their god. Um, ben Hadad besieged Samaria, and that means he blockades it and the food can't come in. And eventually, as they eat more and more of the food, there's law of supply and demand, the price rises. They get to where they're selling things that you can't even eat, you wouldn't want to eat, for exorbitant fees. You know, they, they're starving to death. And the king of Israel is passing by, and a woman asked for him to intervene. To do what? To force... It sounds like what she's saying is she wants him to force the other woman to keep her bargain to share their, her son as a meal. Yeah. That's, I think, the idea. Starvation sometimes prompts people to do just about anything and robs them of their basic humanity. And apparently these two women made a deal. The first day they boil and eat one of the woman's, you know, one woman's son. The next day they boil and eat the other woman's son. That's just really gross. Well, what happened is they boiled and ate the first woman's son, and now she's upset because the other woman won't do it, won't fulfill her end of the bargain. You know, she's hidden her son, and she won't kill him. Uh, wow. How would you feel like if you feel if you were the king in this situation? I'm thinking tearing your clothes and 
being most upset would be appropriate, but. Yeah, I, wow. I mean, things are really bad when they get to this point. And it's kind of almost, almost, uh, I don't know, almost surreal the way she talks about this in such a matter-of-fact way. Mm -hmm. I mean, good grief. This is like, I can't believe somebody even admit to having made a pact like that. Wow. And I mean, from verse 27, doesn't it look like he's expecting her to say something, I guess you could say simple, like, give me food. Yeah. I'm going to help you from the threshing floor of the wine press, you know, that's all empty, you know, and then, yeah. Wow. And so, what does the king feel? He's He's angry with Elisha. Elisha. <laughs> Get mad at the dog and kick the cat. Why would he be angry with Elisha? I guess he thinks Elisha can do something about it and he's not. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the prophets that are the problem. They're the ones that keep telling you you're wrong. So we blame the person who tells us that we did the wrong thing, not ourselves that did the wrong thing. You know, it's just people like that in our day and time, too. I, you know, I guess the king needed a touch of Solomon. You know, maybe we'll cut them both in half or something. I don't know. Uh, he, he doesn't seem to know what to do, so he's just going to uh, relieve Elisha of his head. Comments or questions? We have no idea how much how much time is. I don't know. Still in Elisha's lifetime. Do we know which king this is? Benhadad. No, I mean... Oh. You know, I am not sure about that either, when it's all said and done. Um, we know that when Elisha dies, back in chapter 13, it's in the days of Jehoash, or Joash, king of Israel. But that doesn't really tell me who this king was. Anybody got a good answer on that? I think I would have surrendered if I were him. Who? Like, who, if I were the king, I would have... Oh, surrendered to the Arameans? Yeah. Really, it couldn't be much worse than this, could it? Well, and it, there, was a, there was a famine, and then they were also besieged. Is that the way that went? So they were already in tough times? Unless the famine is because of, of the, the siege. siege. I think that may be more likely. It's just Samaria the city. Samaria so the famine right. isn't like lack of rain related, it's lack of supply. That's what I'm taking it as because they're besieging Samaria. And I think that seems to be the cause of this. Because, I mean, I don't know how much food they stockpiled, but eventually they start eating it. And as, as the supply goes down and the food, you know, left, the price goes up. <laughs> you, know, you can just imagine how that was. And the supply goes down, the price goes up, 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 up. And eventually nobody can afford the food. They're selling dove dung and donkey head for, you know, exorbitant prices, thinking you could eat that garbage. But I guess if you get hungry enough, you eat anything. I don't know. I was just kind of looking. I have a printed out sort of list of the kings and approximately when they reigned. Seems like Jehoram became king in Israel in 2 Kings 3. 
and would have been king the same time Jehoshaphat was in Judah. So maybe roughly that time, you think? Or a little sometime, later. Yeah, some time elapsed. Yeah, probably a little later. Because apparently the next king of Israel was Jehu. Yeah. So before him, so it would have been why, why before him? Because Jehu didn't become king until 2 Kings 9, right? Or... Yeah, but we're not assuming these are not chronological oh, order. Okay. Yeah, that's the problem. Because we've got all these stories about Elisha, and then we go back to the history of the kings. I see. So, so I don't think we can. I don't think we can tell. So this is just Elisha's lifetime. I think we basically in two through eight, the first part of eight, have stories about Elisha, and then we go to the kings of Israel and Judah and all that. So we're kind of like starting over and then yeah I think so I think you pull Elisha down through and then you go back because because in chapter 13 it is in the days of Joash or Jehoash king of Israel that he dies are we assuming he did nothing in Jehu or Jehoahaz's reign I mean I don't know why we would assume that so you know I'm I'm guessing that some of this stuff occurs in Jehu and Jehoahaz's reign Kind of interesting how the next person, or the next like instance that the Arameans and the Israelites battle, right after having feasted with them, mm. is having them go without food like that. Good point. It is a while, but yeah, it's a good point. So it Very could good be a different point. king. Should've Probably. Been. Could be different armies. Could be. People could have died. Could be. I don't know. It's kind of sad how early, how quick we forget things, and however long of time that was. It's still kind of something you don't forget. Last time you had any conflict with these guys, you they fed you. I know that's this is a um, really good uh, display of gratitude, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, uh, thirty-two to seventy-two. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him, and the king sent a man from his presence. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door, and hold the door shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? While he was still talking with them, behold, the messenger came down to him, and he said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then Elisha said, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a measure of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Through two. Uh-huh. The royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Then he said, Behold, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Okay, so um, they are sending a messenger to arrest Elisha, but Elisha's there with the elders. And so what does he tell these elders to do? Shut the door door and hold it. So this is kind of a comical scene with a bunch of old men holding the door shut so the messenger can't get in to arrest Elisha. And uh, the messenger comes and says, 
you know, this is from the Lord. There's no reason to wait for the Lord any longer. He's going to take matters into his own hands and do in Elisha. Elisha says, tomorrow, by this time tomorrow, food, the food prices are going to plummet. Don't invest in food futures. <laughs> you know, this is, I mean, a measure of fine flour for shekel, two measures of barley for shekel. I don't know what that means, but it means cheap. You know, all of a sudden, the market for food's just going to, the bottom's going to drop out of it. Well, that can't happen. I mean, they're starving to death. There's no food supply. The royal officer said, look, if God were to make windows in the, in the sky, <laughs> you know, and rain food down, it couldn't, it couldn't be like this. I mean, what in the world is going to happen that's going to make food prices be that cheap? No way. You know, it's like a lot of people. We think if we can't see how God can do something, he can't do it. You know, if I don't know how God can make this happen, then it, it can't happen. Well, there's a ton of stuff I don't know how God does. I need to trust him more instead of thinking that I've got to have it figured out and analyzed and, you know, cataloged before I'm going to believe it. God said it. This is the way it's going to be, whether we understand anything about it or not. Comments and questions. So the the messenger comes. They lock the door against him, and then the king is following behind him, along with this royal officer. So is the king there? Mm, I don't think so. This Why would we figurative? Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? In verse mm. thirty-two. Yeah. I and then, I mean, mean, I was thinking, I was thinking literally the royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning. Yeah. So you've got the king leaning on this guy and he smarts off. And In my head, he's figuratively saying that, like, his, the king is behind this, like, and that the messenger's coming. And then, like, the messenger goes back and reports that to the king, and that's when... But I guess Elisha still had to talk to him, so... Because he had to tell him that you'll, you won't eat of it. Or is the royal officer the messenger? Mm, well, I've taken the messenger and the royal officer to be two different guys, but I don't know if I'm right. And I'm not sure that this means the royal officer, uh, that the king was like, I mean, if it meant it literally, <laughs> he's got his hand out, the king's leaning up against his hand. I'm more well, likely to think that the king depends on this guy. But I don't know. Maybe it is literal. Did, did you take it as literal? The royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning meant that the king was actually, like, leaning up against his hand? Well, I mean... Just, like, I, supporting him with his it, arm. Yeah, like, like you, have an, you have an old, old doddering king, and this is the strong young man standing next to him, and the king is leaning on him mm. like uh, that. I took it that he's figured, you know, that's his right-hand man. Yeah. yeah. We agree again on that. Yeah. I got oh, you think that he came with the messenger? No. I guess I thought it was the same person. Then how is Elisha talking to that guy? Well, I'm... Because he, like, has a conversation back and forth with this royal officer guy. Because the messenger says, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Well, when did Elisha tell you to wait for the Lord? Right? That's well, I'm saying in verse well, 2. I think he's saying... 
I'm going to have to do something. There's nothing, nothing to be done waiting for the Lord. We're going to, we're going to have to rest Elisha. We got to get rid of him. I think that's what, why should I wait any longer is. I have assumed, but obviously I haven't thought about this as much as you. I think the royal officer was somebody in the room with Elisha is the way I've assumed that. And that he wasn't the same as the messenger, but I don't know. I probably need to go back and see what everybody else thinks about this. <laughs> Why would the royal officer be in there? Because I shut the door. Well, well I assume he was one of the elders that he's talking to. But if he's the royal officer, then he shouldn't like Elisha. He probably doesn't. Well, I don't know. Maybe he does. I don't <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Protecting him. Yeah, why is he holding the door shut if he doesn't like Well, <laughs> I, don't, I guess I've assumed he wasn't one of the ones participating in the door holding. <laughs> That's just silly. Wait, so what about to do? Just standing there being like... Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so the king sends a messenger. <laughs> they hold the door against him. And... Elijah. The messenger's message... From the king is, behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And then Elisha, Elisha talks back to him. And then the royal officer, whoever he was, wherever he came from, <laughs> makes a smart aleck remark that signs his own death mark. Yes. He could not have been in there because he clearly did not like Elisha. But That's apparently they, they, they let the... I thought it was yeah, I think it's the same guy. You're not lying with Cameron again. I know. Something's wrong here. This is twice tonight. Yeah. But he answers him. I mean, it just looks to me... Okay. I mean, it could be the royal officer is the messenger. Because I it's an important message. So I, I mean, the royal officer would have his head. And verse 32 says, that, and the king sent a man from his presence. I was assuming that one of the guys standing around him would be a royal officer. And he'd just be like, oh, okay, go. And then at that since he becomes a messenger. Right. But then it just calls him also. Well, that's a good his right hand man since he was with him. Yeah, and he's his right hand man since he's leaning on his hand in that sense. So Whoa. It's like, okay, just go. Look at verse 17 of which chapter 7. It says that it's talking about the royal officer and he got trampled and died. And just as the man of God had said who spoke when the king came down to him. Now it looks like the king actually went to Elisha. But I think that's because it was a messenger, because, like, he sent him and was like, this is what the king said, so he came in, like, in the name of the king. Yeah, that supports my view. <laughs> oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the king came in the form of this messenger, right? Who is the royal officer? Okay, wait a minute. Who is not the royal officer? No, the royal officer <laughs> came without the king. Verse 19, the royal officer is still alive. Which one? No, no, no. That was that yeah. was a back flash, flashback. Oh, flashback. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Back flash. laughs> yeah. Okay. okay, you're right. So the royal officer is the one that's trampled. Who the royal the officer is trampled. That's for sure. I think the king came. <laughs> I think at least the royal officer came. But then came. why couldn't they break through the door? <laughs> Maybe no, they just stopped. Uh, they just. Oh, it's almost like. <laughs> They stopped the messenger from coming and just taking Elisha away and waited for the king and his royal officer no, to No, the messenger is the royal Why officer. Well, <laughs> oh, well. Whoever these guys were, and however many of them there were, this poor royal officer unfortunately doubts the Lord and he lives to pay for it. Actually, no, dies to pay for it. It <laughs> doesn't live to pay long. Enough. Yeah. True. <laughs> So right. shekel is not much money. I gather it's not. 
four tenths of an ounce. It, you know, in uh, in contrast with a donkey's head being sold for eighty shekels of silver and a fourth of a cab of dung's dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Where did you so, find that? Verse twenty-five. Yeah, six twenty-five. So those were the pre-crash prices. Yeah, <laughs> for. Uh, <laughs> foodstuffs <laughs> and other assorted <laughs> for unique dishes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely. We are just trying to visualize. <laughs> <laughs> Some of this might be better left unvisualized. And he died. It's just not as clear as a lot of narratives. Yeah. Well, it just we're just trying to figure out who's who. That's otherwise yeah. we understand. So I don't know who's what, but so you spend eighty dollars for a grasshopper one day, and the next day you spend a dollar for a nice cut of steak. Yeah, that's kind of the idea. <coughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, three through eight. Now there were four leprous men. 